Everyone, John Wertheim here. Beyond the Baseline is brought to you by Harry's Razors. Superior. We emphasize that. We bold face it. We take a yellow highlighter to it. Superior Razors ship straight to your door at half the drugstore prices. Get $5 off your first order with the code BASELINE at harrys.com. We're also sponsored by FanDuel now that baseball's back. Try the fun and competition of daily fantasy risk-free up to 10 bucks. Go to FanDuel.com and enter the code BEYOND. I love tennis. I don't love the um, governing body of tennis sometimes. I feel like as players, you want to stand up for justice and you can't fight City Hall. That's the way I feel a lot of times. Obviously, when you're top 10, you have more power. And I feel that the top 10 women are doing nothing with their power. And they have been doing nothing. Since I was 18 in the world, they've been doing nothing. And it's really sad to see. Billie Jean King is still out there fighting for women and she's not even playing. Somebody needs to step up and take her place. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It's this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast Beyond the Baseline. A few weeks ago, two of you actually suggested we try and find Alexandra Stevenson and figure out what she is up to. We tracked her down at a clay event in Alabama. She's still playing. She's ranked, as of this week, 545. But as you will hear, that is not a deterrent. She has some very lofty goals. Um, This is an interesting conversation. It goes in several unexpected directions. I won't give away too much, but it's the first podcast we've done that's hit on Jennifer Lopez. Jack Kerouac, Henry VIII, and Donald Trump. Um, but she is a uh, an animated personality, and it's interesting in her mid-30s that she's still out there playing. Obviously, people know her for her Wimbledon breakthrough in 1999. They also, of course, know her for her parentage. We talk about both of those topics, and it's interesting also just to get the perspective of a player who was in the top 20 you know, many years ago in her early 20s and in her mid-30s is still out there under much less glamorous circumstances. So without further ado, let's bring her in now from Alabama, Alexander Stevenson. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. You played today on uh, on a rainy day on clay court tennis, and I was in an office, and I'm thinking I may have gotten the better of that. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, were you in New York City? I was in New York City. Oh, are you? Yeah, well, then you definitely had it better than me. I'm out here on... Unfortunately, America has become a clay court nightmare. (laughs) Sounds like a book title. Every single tournament in the USGA circuit happens to be on clay now. I think they think we're sane. We're making uh, making inroads. Um, I I was just telling our our producer, Jamie, I I don't even know where to start with you. Um, Thanks for doing this. It's been a while. Kind of been underground. What's uh? All right, start there. What I don't. What's what's your life like? Where where are you at with things? Well, um, my shoulder is one hundred percent healthy, and that took a really long time. And I'm actually I'm playing and playing matches and winning and losing and not having any shoulder pain. So that's a really big blessing in my life, and that's where I'm at right now. Is everything great because my shoulder does not hurt and I can play tennis. Now I'm just trying, you know, I'm trying to come back and um, 
get to the top 50 of women's tennis and it's been a long road and I'm kind of still working really hard at it. So t- tell us where you are today. It, it it rained and it was clay and there are a lot of clay <laughs> events um, for, for reasons we can, yes. we can talk about later, but you, you're in Alabama, right? Yes, I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. And actually this is kind of funny. I'm at, I'm staying right now. I'm at my doctor's house, Dr. Dugas, who along with Dr. Andrews did my shoulder surgery. So I'm staying with him and his family and they're amazing. And Caroline and Chris are their kids and they're in high school and Tracy's his wife and she's cooking for us. And so it's a great situation at their house. It's just not a good situation that I'm on clay. <laughs> I got I got bad news for you. I'm looking at the schedule. You you, you got a little more clay before, uh, before yeah, you get on the cement. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of clay. And but the good news was, you know, I came I came here and I don't have a shoulder issue. So I got to see Doctor Dugas and say my shoulder feels amazing. So that was really a pretty big deal. And you got to meet Dr. Andrews, too, who I always say is one of the most underrated figures in uh, in, in U.S. sports right now. <laughs> yes. Uh, I haven't seen Dr. Andrews because he's been in um, Pensacola, so I haven't seen him this trip. But he's pretty. he's a pretty special guy. I mean, I only had one surgery. It took a long time, but other players have had multiple surgeries with this shoulder and I feel like I'm one of the few women who has come back from this injury that I had. Um, I know Jennifer Capriotti is really, you know, I'm sure she lets everybody know she's upset she can't play. And I've been through what she's been through. I just, you know, was able to come out and I'm able to serve and play again. And and is this what these events are like? You you sometimes um, you stay with friends or you stay with acquaintances you've made through the years? I mean, what's what's the life like? Well, let me tell you. So Tell this me. circuit thing, which my first five years on tour, I was um, maybe in a couple challengers when I was 17 and 18. And because the WTA tour was a totally different tour from 2000, 2000, about 2008, when they switched everything around, you were able to play qualifying of WTA if you're ranked like, even if you're ranked 600, you could get into qualifying. Now, if you're ranked 192, you're not going to get in. So what I've seen out here coming back with my shoulder and being in the trenches is that it's become the WTA tour out here. It's no longer a minor league. Um, I think the minor leagues in baseball are actually easier than the the ITF tour. Uh, Women from 40, 50, 60, all the way down to you know, 700 can play tennis now, and the, they're packing the main draws from 80 to 200 is the main draw, and that's, you know, qualifying of WTA and Grand Slams. So you're out here each week trying to get points, and then you're up against players that already have points, and they're taking up spaces in the draw because the women don't have a play-down rule like the men do. And you're doing this why? Well, well what's 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 I, the goal here? What's what's going to define success? Well, you no, my ultimate goal I won't share with you. Okay, but it's it's a big goal, and I feel like I got stopped right when I got to top twenty is when I hurt my shoulder when I got to eighteen in the world, and you know it was really unfortunate because I was 
becoming a really great player and learning how to play the game. And I had a lot of goals and I just kind of got the door slammed on me. And then I got forgotten about and thrown away for the trash in the tennis world, kind of, you know, everybody drops you. It's the same old thing. The phone doesn't ring anymore. And I feel like I still have a lot of tennis left in me and I'm a fighter and I, I don't like to give up on things. And I obviously I've worked really hard to get my shoulder healthy and now I can go out there and play and, you know, just play tennis. It's just, it's been a really long road, <laughs> but I, I wasn't willing to walk away. I mean, why walk away when you have a healthy body? doesn't matter what age you are. I'm sure this has been a topic of conversation for you in the press and, you know, in the tennis world for a couple of years, you've seen it coming that there really is no, no longer like 30 year olds. I mean, look at Kamiko Date. What is she? 44 now. You can still play tennis. Oh, right. Yeah. Except, no, I mean, uh, mid, 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 yeah. 30, mid 30s is nothing now. Yeah. So I feel like the narrative is changing very slowly. Uh, tennis is still about 30 years behind the rest of the world. But, <laughs> in, 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 what um, way, in what ways? Where do we go? Uh, I mean, don't get, don't get me started. I mean, we can do the whole equal pay thing. We can do the age. Uh, you know, Cameron Diaz just wrote a book, Longevity. So I saw that. I think I think everybody in the tennis world should read that book. Wait, can we take a <laughs> can, we, can we take can we take a brief detour? I want I want to oh, sure. get back to all this, but but you were there. Um, this was just kind of crawling on my social media feed yesterday. What was the deal with Taylor? Speaking of longevity, it, t- Taylor Townsend at the event <laughs> where we're talking, where, where you yes. are right now, um, looked to have played a, a 69 year old woman. Yeah, speaking of longevity. That's that's longevity well, for actually, you. Take that, Cameron yeah, Diaz. I mean, come on. Well, what, what was the story I mean, there? What what happened? Well, uh, this lady, I actually don't even know her name because I was focusing on my match, but I did go out and see a couple points. Um, I think she played another girl in the first round. What happened was, I think, because of Fed Cup, the quality draw – the lower-ranked quality draw kind of fell apart because the girls maybe in the mid-ranks that can play in their countries for Europe that aren't top players that play Fed Cup pulled out. And so because the USTA does 64 draws in 25,000, which they really should do only 32, that's a whole nother thing, um, no ranking gets in. And she signed up and got in, and she won her first match. And I have no idea who she played in the first round. I think she was a young girl, um, and she beat her. And so Taylor I had practiced with the day before, and Taylor told me who she was playing, and I said, are you serious? And she said, yep. And I said, well, good for her. She won her match. And, you know, Taylor wasn't the happiest camper because it was kind of unexpected, but – you know, she respectfully, the lady hit a ball in the net and Taylor went around and picked it up because out here we don't have ball kids. Like the men on the ATP, they own the ITF circuit. I'm not sure of the logistics about that, but they demand ball kids and full umpires and the women get nothing. So um, we're out here picking up our own balls. So, uh, well, so we did, this was this was jarring video watching Taylor Townsend play a sixty nine year old in a, in a professional sanctioned match. But yeah, um, I, I was so 
shocked that it was such big news, actually. Yeah, I think, <laughs> because, you, you know, it just gets well, in someone's feed. And when then... you're, yeah, when you're out here in the middle of nowhere in Pelham, you just, you don't realize that even Pelham is big news. That a 69-year-old won a match. But hey, that's pretty cool. That's social media for you. So you're, yeah. you're picking up you're picking up your own balls, and there are no ball kids, and I don't I don't know what the officiating oh, situation call, is. I was gonna say you're calling your own lines too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you you were uh, well. Phil, Phil Knight flew to Wimbledon to see you. You were your top twenty <laughs> in, in the world at one point. Has this been jarring? Is this something you've gotten used to by now? I mean, what what is this like for you? Well, no, you never get used to it because if you get used to it, then you shouldn't be out there. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's shocking because to me it's shocking that, you know, I've always been somebody to stand up for justice and sometimes it's gotten me into trouble. But, you know, it's always been important to tell the truth and fight for what's right. And when you see all these women and even the men, the men will tell you too, when you see everybody working so hard out here and they're good players, it's not like, you know, yes, the 69-year-old won her first match, but the majority of the group of players out here can all play tennis. I'm sure you've seen it. They sneak in in grand slams and sure, get to sure, the fourth sure, round. Sure. Or look at Joanna Conta. She's now like yeah. 20 in the world or right. something. She was out here last year with me. And you see the lack of respect you get, and they just throw you out in a court that's sometimes not regulated, or it rains and there's holes in the court and you have to go play. And you go, why am I doing this? And you go, well, because I love tennis. And when you've been to the top of tennis and played at Grand Slams and played at the big tournaments, it's amazing. But then when you come to the bottom, you're still playing the game. It's just in different circumstances. And it's kind. sometimes it's really sad because you're out there picking up your own balls and the referee just wants to get the match over with and you're, you feel like you're part of a cattle train. <laughs> so it's a very big, um, you know, I'm sure in the entertainment world it's the same thing. They just maybe get paid a little more. Right. So, yeah, I mean, when you have to pay 40 bucks in your first match, and if you don't win it, you don't get paid in a professional sport, that really sucks. And in tennis, you know, the ITF hasn't changed. 1972, the prize money is still the same as it, as it is now on the ITF circuit. I was I was going to ask you about the finances. I mean, it, this is something you you always hear, and it's you know it's tough even to break even, and you can w- yeah. win an ev- you can win an event and still be down in your expenses. I mean, can I can I ask how you're doing how you're how you're managing this financially? Um. Well, you know, it's a journey. So, <laughs> if anybody out there's a billionaire who wants to sponsor me, they can call me up. Um, you know, it's not easy. It's one of the reasons why I haven't been able to go overseas because. That's where you can really the points, and I've been kind of stuck in the states because I don't have a sponsor. Right. So, and then you look at it and you go, "Well, look what I did when I was playing well." And you know, it, it really doesn't matter in today's world. They just look at your age, and they don't really look at your ability, and they go, "Oh, well, no thanks, we'll pass." So, I'm still working hard on figuring out a way to get overseas and you know i'm fighting out there but it is expensive just to play a week in america 
And it's how, hard to get there. How does that, um, I mean, just sort of in pragmatic terms, I mean, how does that happen? Does the Nike and IMG and all, all these companies and, and brokers that you had these relationships with, is mm-hmm. it ranking? Do they say, look, if, if you're not ranked X, we can't continue to represent you? Do they just sort of say, listen, we're taking a break? I mean, how does that even sort of go down? Well, I don't know with everybody. I know with me after my shoulder surgery, um, yeah, I kind of got caught in a situation where the two lead agents at IMG left and, you know, IMG was kind of restructuring and everything really was not stable. Right. And my lead agents took off. So I kind of was left with no one. And, you know, then I went to other people and they were like, well, when you get to top 100, we'll think about it. It's always like, well, when you get there, instead of like, well, you actually need help getting there. So I think that's what a lot of players face that are out here, maybe in the 400, 500. Um, I think Europeans, some of them can just go to a bank and get $25,000. But in America, unfortunately, we don't have that option. Or maybe if you do, I don't know anybody that does that. And so you just have to find somebody that's willing to think outside the box. And, you know, the last couple of years I've had angels help me and, um, and come and give me some funds, but you know, to play a whole year on the tour, it costs a fair bit amount to play, you know, on the WTA and on the ICS. And I'm not Canadian. I mean, maybe if I was Canadian, I'd have more help or European. Um, the American tennis association isn't going to help me. Uh, they've made that clear. So, it's just kind of you're kind of out there by yourself. We need to find you some a Bobby Axelrod. We need, we need to find you a a hedge fund investor. Yeah, I, I yeah. Can't... I mean, it just takes somebody that's willing to think outside the box and come on board and believe in the story and not look at the age because your age doesn't really matter as long as your body's healthy. And I have like eight years that I haven't used. So, it's a good way to look at it. You uh, you'll, you'll get yeah. them on the back end. I, I you know yeah, I can't exactly. believe. Hey, uh, look, look at Jennifer Lopez. She's in her prime and she's forty six. All right, hold that thought, Alexander Stevenson. That is quite a monologue you're on, but we've got to pay some bills here. Spring is here, and whether you're catching a game, relaxing at the beach, or just going to work, it's time to ditch the winter scruff. Off with the vacation beards. You want to feel the sun on your face, and here's how you're going to do this. With a smooth shave from Harry's Razors. With Harry's, you don't just get a close, comfortable shave. You get high-quality, German-engineered blades for half the price you're used to. Is there anything that isn't German-engineered, Jamie Lasanti, that isn't high-quality? We got some of these Harry's Razors. I don't know if I'm supposed to reveal that. It falls below our $75 conflict of interest threshold. We got some Harry's Razors ourselves here, and I will tell you firsthand— and with full candor, that it is an excellent shave. I've been using them. Presumably Richard Deitch has as well. Both Ben Eagle and Dan Bloom use them. If that isn't testimonial, I don't know what is. Harry's gives you factory direct prices. They cut out the middleman. They ship the products right to your door. They are excellent razors. And here's the best part. The starter set is available for just 15 bucks. You get a razor handle, foam, shave gel, three of Harry's five German-engineered razors. Did I mention the virtues of German engineering, Jamie Lasanti? 
For listeners of the show, Harry's giving you $5 off the purchase with the promo code BASELINE. Go to harrys.com now, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Make sure you use the code BASELINE and check them out. Let them know who sent you. I, I can't believe I'm, I'm saying this, but it was, it was 17 years ago that you made mm-hmm. that, that Wimbledon semifinal run. Uh-huh. When you... Yeah, I just graduated high school. You just I remember and you were going to be in the school play and... Um, oh, I was. I was and I was in prom and I gave up the French Open for prom. That's, I think that's a good move in retrospect, but uh, yeah, I mean that you know that was that was literally half your life ago. I mean, how how are, uh-huh. how do you how do you reflect on that I mean, when you now look back on uh, that that summer and then you know the following summer? What uh, well, what sort of? I'm writing a book right now, so <laughs> I'm reflecting a lot back on that and on my journey. It's, you know, it's, you know Jack Kuryak's book on the road. Sure. Well, I'm kind of doing an on the road book. Sports-wise, because I've I've traveled most of the United States in a car to get to tournaments, and it's been quite an experience. And so, looking back at um, looking back at Wimbledon, it's something you know it changed my life forever. I went, you know, I went in as a high school senior, just graduated, went to prom, was in Greece the musical. I pretty much, I came in as me, Alexander Stevenson, and then I left as Dr. J's daughter. So is that how, is that how you, you look wanna, at it? If you want to just call a spade a spade, it totally turned my life around. And, you know, I had to deal with the public looking at me differently as when I, I still saw me as me, but I had me and a whole other layer to it. You think You think that was fair? I mean, you think that was sort of in the, realm no, of, of journalism not. i mean do you think somebody buying your birth certificate is fair <laughs> so i i don't even think they allow that anymore i think it's illegal i think after 9-11 you can't just walk in and buy a birth certificate of, but of, I don't of someone other than yourself but you, you don't think this was this was a public figure and there was i mean I, I think there's an interesting debate to be had honestly about where where we well, draw I these think, kinds of lines and what's public and yeah what, i mean i think the way it was handled was not right. I mean, was it going to come out? Sure. But it is what it is. I mean, it, it was also, when you think about it, if you can even imagine, it was before social media. Right, so right. imagine if we had social media then, I think it would have been even crazier. Because really, I was in England, and I didn't have any idea that America was like going a little nuts over all this. <laughs> My aunt actually sent me a box of papers um, to help me out with the writing of my book that she collected. And just so much was written on that that I didn't even know. It was pretty extraordinary, actually. The, the story, uh, you, t- tell me if this, is, uh, if this is tennis myth or uh, if there's some fact to this. The, the, story, yeah. I, the story I once heard, and, and I wasn't there, but the story I once heard was that your, your mother knew this was coming and sort of generated a controversy um, just to basically well, like divert. Who did you, you hear that from? This this is uh, te- tennis press room gossip that the, your mom sort of had a sense this was coming and to throw off the scent generated a controversy in hopes that sort of the attention would go to her and away from you. Well, 
I think that's a very accurate piece of information in the tennis press room. Um, I feel that she did get warned. Actually, I know that she did get warned by Frank DeFord. Remember him? He's my, my uh, <laughs> he was at, he's a dear he man. Was at he's, he's, he's a lovely yeah. man. Yeah, he's a great guy. And, you know, he warned her that the person had had my birth certificate. And actually, I have to thank the press back then because they kind of kept him at bay and told him to let me just have my run. And so you're, they you're, you're talking about you're talking about the reporter, not Frank. Let's be clear. You're talking not not about Frank. You're talking about the reporter who. Yes, who the broke reporter, this. not okay. about Frank. All right, let's but just I think be clear. Frank was instrumental in keeping the reporter at bay and not having my because I was kind of on a run until the to the quarters, and I was going a little, relatively unnoticed until the third round when I beat the eight seed. But they all kind of just tried to keep them down so it wouldn't ruin what I was doing. Right. And I think probably in today's world that never would have happened. Um, and so I, I really appreciate that going on. But so my mom did get warned and then she did a walkabout with the press and just happened to say, I want my daughter to marry a man and have babies one day. And that sent the British tabloids into a frenzy. <laughs> and created a controversy, which the next day we woke up and my mom would always walk up to um, this newsstand in Wimbledon Village. And she went to get the paper and the guy was like, oh, no, no, Madam Stevenson, I have a whole stack for you. And she went, what, what are you talking about? Oh, she, and he she showed her and figured she prominently. Went, yeah. And she went, oh, my gosh. Oh, my. I cannot believe this happened. Like, she really didn't think it was going to cause such a because she didn't say anything. I mean, marrying a man to have kids isn't such a big thing to say, you would think, right? And <laughs> apparently they like to spin it, and it was a big thing to say back then in the tennis world. What, um, if, I'm thinking, if you're writing uh, a modern day on the road, um, is, yes. is, is, is your mom playing the role of Neil Cassidy? I mean, what, what's, is she, <laughs> she, uh, is, yes, is she, she what, is. What's, what's your she relationship is. with it? Is she traveling with you? Is well, she, what's, I mean, it's, it's basically, I mean, it's my mom and me on the road and all our stories. And, uh, you know, I'm being, I'm from, I'm from California. So when I was touring for the first five years of my career, I didn't really drive through the United States. And I, I studied the United States in high school and then college, but I didn't really see the culture difference. And what's amazing, as you, you probably know now, Donald Trump is changing the narrative in the races, in the Republican races. But he's really captured what America thinks. And to see that happening is really cool. Like, I went through the elections with Bush. And then, well, I went through like three elections just traveling on the road with my shoulder and going to see Dr. Andrews in Birmingham and then playing out here in the circuit. And I think we've driven our Volvo like three times across the country. <laughs> and, you know, the first five years of my career, I was always on a plane. I wasn't driving anywhere. But but so your, your mom is still, uh, I mean, what's your, your relationship with her is still strong as ever. She's still a, a integral part of your career. Yeah, I mean, she's my biggest cheerleader. And, you know, I don't have any... Like, I'm not upset that I'm 35 and I still live with my mom because we're a team. And, you know, without her, I wouldn't be playing tennis today. 
because I probably would have had a meltdown. Well, I did have many meltdowns, and she was always there to pick up the pieces and to, you know, say, come on, you can do it. And, you know, when you're you're a great tennis player that can play at a high level, and then all of a sudden it's just taken away from you, not because of anything you did, it's devastating. And what? so she's been there every step of the way, including watching my surgery. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, can I ask what your relationship with your dad is? Sure, you can ask that. I remember the, uh, I don't know if it was the E60 or it was an Outside the Line piece, you know, maybe four, four, five, six years ago. Yeah. Where you had reconciled with him. Is is he, well, how do you characterize what kind of part of your life he well, is? I don't know about reconciled. I mean, I had never met the guy, so I didn't have any grudge against him. Right. Um, you know, I grew up pretty, it was a pretty idyllic childhood the way I grew up. I grew up on Sail Bay in Pacific Beach in a one-bedroom apartment, and it was just my mom and me, and I never really had any issues that I didn't have a dad, because she created such a great childhood for me that I went to plays, I played tennis, I did swimming. It was just a great childhood growing up in San Diego on the beach. How much better can that be? And I never really asked about a dad. It just is what it is. And then I go to Wimbledon and there's like all this stuff going on. And I was like, what's the big deal? Like I never really thought it was such a big deal, including that he had a statue in Philadelphia. She took me that to that when I was 13 and I was like, Oh, why does he have a statue? So, you, you remember you remember how old uh, you were when when you were first told? Uh I think I was um I think I was I think I was 4 but then I went to um I think I was 7 or 8 when I came home with a flyer and I told my mom I wanted to go to this basketball thing cuz he was putting it on and he was coming to San Diego and I think she almost passed out and like called a child psychologist. <laughs> and the child psychologist said, well, let her go. And so I went and I stood in line to get an autograph sign on a basketball. Oh, right, right. I, I remember the story. Right, right, yeah, right, 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 I told right. this on ESPN and then I threw right. it back at him and I was like, I don't want your autograph. But, but he, he said, <laughs> you know, I want, yeah. And you, yeah, he, he, so thought, he thought you were a fan I, that wanted I mean, an autograph. I did meet him at seven just because I wanted to go see who he was. And then I was done. I didn't need to, you know, I never... I've never been dramatic that way. Maybe that's why I like watching Housewives show on Bravo. Do you ever watch The Housewives? I, um, <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm going to take the fifth on that one. Okay, I've well, seen it's a few great Housewives. Entertainment. So you know, there's all this drama, and I just feel like I've never been that way. Right. And then to meet him and to see his other family, it was like whoa! It was like a Tyler Perry movie. It was a lot of stuff, and I'm just. That's not kind of my personality, and I. It was quite. It was like landing on Mars. Is that and so? I mean, have, have you, do you do you speak to him regularly? Like, what's what's the status of the relationship now? Oh, well, I haven't talked to him in about a uh, couple years, actually. You know, I really um, tried to understand him, and you know, it is what it is. He has his own life and he let me know that he had his own life and his own family to take care of. And I said, okay, it was nice to get to know you. So that's kind of what happened. I mean, it's not really any big thing. I kind of feel
feel like, um, you know, King Henry VIII had Elizabeth and she ended up queen. So, you know, I really like that story. Wait, wait, which way does that cut? <laughs> I'm kind of throwing you off there. I don't know which way it goes. You know, Elizabeth was a great queen of England and her father was never in her life and she got to know him a little bit and then didn't really after that. So it is what it is. That's interesting. So you're, I mean, you, you, you may never speak to him again and you, I mean, it sounds like you're sort of. Well, you know, I feel like this is a silly pun. The ball is in his court. You know, he has a lot to, to come to me about because you don't write a book about your family and say what you say without telling them and then they get blindsided by it. That's the way I feel. I mean, I've never written anything badly about him. And he did a lot to my mother that he wrote about in a book, and I don't feel it was fair. And that's all I'll say on that. You, according to the uh, WTA Media Guide, you you read yeah, a book. Yeah, well, that's like you, so you read a old. book. You read a book a day. Does, does that need updating? <laughs> does that mean what? D- does that need updating? Did something get lost in translation? Probably. I that probably does need updating. But I do read a lot of books. Probably not a day. I don't know where they got. I read a book a day, maybe like a book every two weeks. <laughs> this this would be the this would be the first time media guide information wasn't accurate. Um, I know that, that. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> those media guys. You always. I mean, I I don't even think that's been updated since 2004. <laughs> Hey everyone, we are heading into French Open preview time. We are heading into the tune-ups in Europe on the clay. But baseball season is already underway, and it's time to get in the game. Find your Carl Tuffy Rhodes. Figure out why Matt Harvey is struggling to start the season this year. It can be so much fun because you can be more than a fan. Run your own team on FanDuel. Get your inner Billy Bean on. It's the most fun you can have as a baseball fan. It's not just for the stats experts. It's for every fan from casual players to the hardcore seam heads. People use the word seam head, Jamie. They do. You nod your head. Set up a listener league with your friends or play to win cash from fans around the world. Entry fees start at just a buck. There's no season-long commitment. Play for one day. Play for the whole season plus the playoffs. And here's how you do it. Go to FanDuel.com. Enter the code BEYOND. Enter a league, start one with your friends, and if you don't win any prizes in your first contest, you know what? No problem. It's like a do-over at home plate. You get $10 right back to your FanDuel account. FanDuel.com, enter the code BEYOND, get a risk-free tournament up to 10 bucks. Is tennis, tennis is still fun for you? Yeah, I love tennis. I don't, I don't love the um, governing body of tennis sometimes. I feel like as players... You want to stand up for justice, and you can't fight City Hall. That's the way I feel a lot of times. Obviously, when you're top 10, you have more power, and I feel that the top 10 women are doing nothing with their power, and they have been doing nothing. Since I was 18 in the world, they've been doing nothing, and it's really sad to see. What what would you do? Well, Billie Jean King is still out there fighting for women and she's not even playing somebody needs to step up and take her place that's how i feel what, and what, what would you has. do what, what would what would be some of the issues you'd be interested in addressing if you were a top 10 player well 
I mean, first of all, you'd have to totally come in and redo the WTA. <laughs> and you'd have to make more opportunity for all players. And, you know, they have, you, you do know they've cut the draws on the tour to 16 qualifying. Right. Do you know that? Right. Yeah. Well, nobody ever talks about that because they don't care about qualifiers. Well, how do your young players, they're always talking about the next best thing. How do the young players come up? Well, if you have a country who funds you and gives you unlimited money, they'll come up eventually. But it's taking five years instead of two. Um, if you don't have a country, you're kind of in trouble. <laughs> you have to have backers behind you to do it. Um, you'd have to, you know, the WTA has never been branded. I mean, I'm sure you've talked about this. It's, I still go and they, on the street, they go, oh, do you know Serena and do you play for the ATP? Or they say Davis Cup. Oh. <laughs> You're like, excuse me? They never say, do you know Roger Federer? It's always, do you know Serena Williams? So Serena, as she said in Indian Wells, said, you know, more people probably know me than Federer and Nadal. But the WTAs never come together and figured it out. And it's just shocking to me. What, I mean, um, when I was playing, there was like four CEOs coming in and out, and they never got anything done except collecting a paycheck. Who are you still in touch with that um, that were your contemporaries in the late 90s? I mean, players have gone on, and some are in the sport, and some are out of the sport, and some are... Late family. 90s? Excuse me. It was 2000. Don't age me more. <laughs> what, what was the year of your Wimbledon breakthrough? Well, that was like my first right. month on the tour. But what? what um, that was ninety nine or, so, or, or early two thousands. Who who are you still close yes. with, or who? I mean, at one point, um, we actually had in Australia there was there was a, uh, a a tennis magazine cover that I think was you, Lindsay Davenport, Monica Sellis, and Capriati. I think. Um, who, yeah, who are you, who are you never, still close we with? We never shot that together. It was oh, the old it, the old Photoshop it separately. The, uh, yeah, the two thousand Photoshop. Um, yeah. Who, who are you, who are you still? Are you friends with the Williams sister still? I mean, who who were your connections? Well, actually, I haven't really been in touch with anybody in the last um, maybe four years. I mean, when Serena had her issue with her lung, I called her up and I went over to her house to make sure she was okay. And that was, what was that, four or five was, years uh, ago? Yeah, two, 2011, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'll always be there for them, but we've all gone in different directions. And they have so many people around them that if you want to keep a friendship, you have to keep it going. It's not really both sides. So I kind of just had to do my own thing and, you know, get my arm healthy. And they were doing their own thing, which was fine. So pretty much no one. I mean, I have tennis people on the road that there's coaches all throughout the United States that I keep in touch with. and But player-wise, not really... I mean, nobody. I've I've kind of gone off the radar. So, so what? I mean, that's so people sometimes write in and they suggest guests, and your your name had come up a few times, and it was always in the sort of like, I wonder mm -hmm. what she, I wonder what she's up to now. Um, yeah. I, I, don't, I mean, wh what do you want people to know about you? You're you're obviously you're you're still out there playing, and you have goals to get back back in the in the top hundred. And I, mm -hmm. I think I think you raise a good point that your your age is first of all you know, mid thirties is not what it used to be in terms of a sports career, but also sometimes when you have years and years of inactivity, 
you can get those years back. What what else do you want people to know about you? Well, I feel that I'd like people to know that I'm a fighter and that, you know, life gets hard, as everybody knows. And, you know, sometimes in the sports world, they don't portray that there's ups and downs as much. You know, in the entertainment, you're hot and you're cold. And sometimes you're cold for years and then you get hot. Well, in the sports world, you could be cold and then just go away and not get hot again. But I feel like there's a chance now and the tours open. And if you have the right resources and you take care of your body and you can, you know, nutrition is such a big thing. I'm doing something really cool in Scottsdale with a place called Cerulean. And it's all about recovery and increasing your VO2 and you know, increasing your longevity. And this really cool guy started this company called Cerulean. And I'm not going to tell you too much about it because it's just a startup, but um, they've been working with me for about two months and I can really tell the difference. And it's all just natural things. And you can, you can stay out there a long time. And I still have a lot to give, I feel, in tennis. That's one of the reasons why I haven't you know, walked away. Um, I also would like to do a third career. I feel like this is my second career right now, but I'm not finished with it. And then my third career, I'd like to go into sports and entertainment. And, you know, there needs to be some more women out there with voices in sports and entertainment world. That's what I feel. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you're thinking about sort of what, you know, what's the next 40 years, uh, what, what what do you see yourself doing in sports and entertainment? Well, I have my college degree, so I have that done. Um, I did want to go to Yale School of Drama when I was like 25, but tennis got in the way of that, <laughs> and I was okay with that. I'd like to do um, hosting. I'd like to blend pop culture and sports together because I feel like they go hand in hand, you know, just like fashion and music. Um and it's with social media, it's more prevalent. I'm I'm not really adept at social media. I've kind of, because I was going through the trenches of getting my arm healthy, I kind of just missed that boat. <laughs> no, it's not too late. I have a Twitter and I have an Instagram. I was going to say, it sounds, sounds like you have plenty of... Uh... Plenty of thoughts and opinions. It's not too late to get on that boat. I have plenty of thoughts and opinions, but it's so funny because I feel like it's just hard for me to share them every day. Like I just, you know, when you have to go to press and you get ans- you ask questions, you you answer questions, or I do this with you and you're asking me questions. I just feel like putting my opinion out there. I'm not comfortable with that yet, which I probably should be. So that's still something I'm trying to figure out. My money's on you. Um, oh, this thank this you. is uh, it, it's in. This is great. I it, it seems in some ways uh, like a long time ago, and it seems in some ways like this is this is very familiar to uh, the, the player I remembered when I first started covering. <laughs> Thanks. Ten, I'm a little more mature ago. and wiser now. Um, <laughs> where, where where are you off to? Uh, you're in Alabama this week. Where where are you off to next week? Uh, well, I will be in Alabama in Dothan, um, playing another clay court tournament, and. Then after that, I'm trying to get to Europe. So hopefully, I'll be able to get to Europe, so I could get on the grass. I, I'm. Uh, and, I don't. I don't say this jokingly. If if there's someone out there that wants to 
financially back a, uh, a tennis player? How do they get in touch with you? Uh, well, they could just call you up and ask how to get in touch with me. I don't know. All right, do I don't it. want to give my number on the, on the so, radio. So, so, but, social media you know, would be your could, friend here. Yeah, social. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, and, you know, it's a great story. I feel like I believe that I can be top 50, and, you know, I have my ultimate goal, which um, – I still believe that I can play with the best players and I've seen it happen and I've seen what Serena can do. And I feel like I can play just as tough as she can. And same with Venus. Look at Venus. She's my same age. And I was going to say, those, those, are your, uh, those are your contemporaries. Um, yeah. And look at the men. They're half of them are 30 to 35. That's, <laughs> that, that's a, uh, that, that's a big goal. Pl- yep, playing at Venus and Serena goal. level, but, but as you're... in life, if you don't have goals, how fun would life be? I mean, when I'm like 45, 46, I can look back and say I did everything I could to go and meet my second career goals. And you know what? If I did do it, it's going to be amazing. And if, if by some chance it doesn't happen, something else will happen, and I'll be okay with that. You're not going to believe I, this. I, I distinctly remember you saying, and you must have been a teenager at the time, that uh-huh. if, if you reach for the, st- what is it? If you if you reach for the stars, and you end land up on, on the, the moon. moon. Is that right? You said yeah. that, right? Yeah, you land on the yeah, moon, you're still you doing reach, pretty that's well. It's so funny that you remembered that, yeah? You My said mom that, always right? told yeah. me that, no matter what. Wait, say it again. Re- reach for the stars, and if you end up if, on the moon, it's not so bad. If you reach for the stars... You and you land on the moon. That's amazing. I mean, yeah, because if you reach, if you land on the moon, it's pretty wow. cool. <laughs> that's that's so wild. Though. Well, um, yeah, she she told me that when I auditioned for Annie, I was a little um, brown skinned five year old auditioning for Annie, who had red hair and white skin, and she said, "Well, reach for the stars and land on the moon." I have distinct uh, memories of you saying that as a teenager. Um, this was uh, this this was an interesting conversation. I um, I did not know what to expect, and I wish you um, I wish you all the luck. It's great that you're still Thank still you. out there and chasing the dream. I'm still out there, and I listen to you when you you do your talks, and it's nice to have an intelligent voice in tennis. I appreciate that. Um, good luck. Let's stay in touch. All right. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Take care. Bye. All right. That was Alexandra Stevenson. I keep wanting to say Alexander Hamilton. That was Alexandra Stevenson. That was this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. I admit to being tongue-tied and speechless in several junctures there, but thankfully she picked up the slack. Didn't always know where that conversation was going, but it was an interesting perspective, and there's some interesting points in there. I think there's uh, something to be said about careers being elongated, something to be said about the rigors of playing tennis's minor leagues and quite apart from the issue of of parentage that we discussed it's interesting to hear the perspective of someone who was you know a top 20 player in 2001 2002 and now is ranked in the 500s in her mid-30s but is undaunted and uh still thinks she's capable of playing top tier ball thanks again to our producer jamie lasanti you can follow me on twitter at, at john underscore wertheim subscribe to the show in itunes stitcher or your podcast app Hear the whole panoply of SI podcasts at the SI Network at si.com backslash podcasts. So, interesting podcast this week. We'll have another guest next week. As always, your suggestions, your comments, your criticism are welcome. Always a pleasure doing these. And uh, we'll be back in a week. Have a good week, everyone. 
Thanks. See you next week. Thank you.